Welcome back to another episode of the Faith Awakens podcast, and a very special episode because it is our 40th episode. We started this <laughs> podcast, believe it or not, Megan, uh, last February, so we've been oh doing this gosh. for a year. It was February? It was February last year. Wow. I'm pretty sure it was episode number one. I'd have to check the date oh for sure, gosh. but this is definitely episode 40, oh. and we've been doing it, let's call it a year. Um, whether or not we started in later February, doesn't matter. Um, and so I'm Father Tom, your local friendly chaplain, and joined always by my co-host. Megan Grady, your local friendly student, um, student teacher, friend, yep. colleague, Fear Campus athlete, Minister. Fear Campus Minister. All around good person. <laughs> oh, you're the best. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, but what makes this episode extra, extra special is that we have a very good friend and a mentor of mine, Father George McDaniel, who is a professor emeritus of history here at St. Ambrose. I was a history major. Meg is a history yes, secondary I education am. major. Yes. <laughs> uh, Megan, you did not have the benefit of having Father McDaniel I, in class. I know. But, yeah. uh, he was excellent. He was an excellent I lecturer. Uh, and I learned a lot uh, from him. So, Father George, welcome and welcome to the Thank podcast. You. Great to have you on. And um, I had to bring in people that are listening to the podcast can't see this, obviously. But when I graduated from Ambrose and I was going off to a major seminary in Rome, uh, the three history faculty pitched in and got me this lovely guidebook oh, wow. of Rome. <laughs> and I still have it. It's a, uh, you know, uh, the, the information in it is probably outdated for some of the things in terms of costs of things and all of that kind of stuff. But you know, the basic information is still good, but I also can't get rid of it because you all wrote nice little notes on the inside here. So, uh, Father George, you wrote, Tom, you have been a joy to have as a student and worker, because I was also the history study, the history work study. Oh, work study. Um, let's see, may God, you, your handwriting is kind of hard to read, Father George, I have to tell you, but um, <laughs> may God bless you on your journey to Rome and the priesthood. Lovely. So, and then... Um, uh, of course, Richard Geiger, Dr. Richard Geiger wrote a nice little note there, and Dr. John Stoff as well, who addresses me as Spartacus, because that was his nickname for me, Spartacus. <laughs> um, because I, I had the little office that is now actually a faculty member's office, but at that time was a little closet on the second floor there. Oh, is it Dr. Um, or is it Dr. Uh, McKinley? So, yes, it's oh, Dr. McKinley. My, I've been in there. It's so small. It is tiny. I mean, but that was my work study office, yeah. which for a work study was like, great. I I have my own office. Who what yeah. work study has their own office? But um, that's where I worked out of and uh, Father George, you had the office that is now where Dan the Court is. Yeah. Oh, um, that's he always brags that's the biggest yeah. one. Yeah. And so what bothers me about it. seeing that book, it looks like the pages with the restaurants are the ones that are dog eared and the, uh, and the, and the, the churches um, aren't marked at all. No. Hmm. Yeah, well Do you they, have anything maybe to say some about truth that? Truth to that, you know. Um uh, he yeah. came back a little bit, you know, the, pounds heavier. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, there's a lot of good pasta over there. But mm -hmm. you also walked it all off. We walked everywhere. So <laughs> it was, was actually, I used this book a lot. It was very handy because it does have some of those books that are too text heavy yeah. are kind of hard to get through. This had, I mean, enough illustrations and enough uh, pictures to, so that you knew what you were looking at and things like that. So still a very uh, wonderful memento that I have uh, from, from the history department from my time here as a student. So. Uh, two weeks ago, tomorrow, uh, we're, we're recording this on Valentine's Day, by the way. Happy Valentine's Day, yeah. or as I always remind the students, it's actually the Feast of St. Cyril and Methodius, uh. the apostles to the Slavs and co-patrons of Europe. So happy Feast of St. Cyril and Methodius to you all. Um, anyhow, uh, two weeks ago tomorrow, 
we had a press conference here at the at the university to announce the 14th president of St. Ambrose University, uh, Dr. Amy Novak, who's coming to us uh, in August, and so Sister Joan is retiring. And so we thought it would be great to have you on, uh, Father George, to talk a little bit about the past presidents of St. Ambrose University and maybe uh, give us a, a kind of a big picture and maybe zero in on a couple that you think uh, were particularly interesting or important in our history. So. Fine. First thing I need to do is, is your former teachers correct your date. It was a week ago tomorrow oh. at the press conference, oh. not two You're weeks right. ago. You're right. He's, he's a lot has happened already this calling week. them out. You're right. It was only a week ago. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Uh, Dr. Novak is the 14th president, as you know, and uh, I'm not. I thought I would just say something about some of the other 13, the the ones that in, uh, interested me in particular. Uh, the first is uh, Monsignor uh, A.J. Schulte, as he was known, Aloysius Joseph, but they always called him A.J. Schulte, the first uh, president. Uh, I can't imagine what it would have been like to have the bishop say, I'm going to start a school and you're going to run it. <laughs> and um, when it started, there were 33 boys in two rooms of, a, of the cathedral grade school classrooms. Um, and there was one other faculty member, a layman, Joseph Halligan. <laughs> Schulte then was really responsible for getting it going, uh, providing for some growth. He moved it uh, from the cathedral to the where we are now on, on, on West Locust Street and uh, would have overseen the construction of the first part of Ambrose Hall. Hmm. He uh, left the presidency in 1891 after nine years when he went to become pastor at St. Mary's in Iowa City where he was until he died in 1940. Wow. Um, one of his altar boys from those days was the man who became Father Herman Strube. Huh. In any case, um, so the, the fact that Schulte was the beginning and that he uh, had the, the task of getting things going, in my book, The History of St. Ambrose, I found a picture of him that I'm very fond of when he's an old man He's visiting campus, and it shows him standing looking out a window. Mm -hmm. I always think very wistfully, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I always wonder if he's thinking, you know, I can't imagine this being here. Yeah, you know, and what what that what what he would have been thinking about as he looked out the window at his campus. Yeah, hmm. Flanagan, uh, Monsignor, or Father. J.T.A. Flanagan followed him. I'm going to skip over him. Um, the next one was uh, Father Bill Shanahan. They always called him Big Bill Shanahan, 1906 to 1915. Shanahan is, I think, interesting because by now the school is, well, 82, 92, 12, so getting on to be 30 years, and is growing. It began essentially as a high school with a few college students. The number of college students is increasing, as is the number of high school students, but they're beginning what will be about a 15-year process of separating the high school and the college. Hmm. 
and they needed room. Ambrose Hall had been added on to four times by then. <laughs> he then hired an architect for yet another addition to Ambrose Hall for the college. It would be the college building. It is what now is, I guess we call it LeClaire Hall, although the old gym okay. the, tacked on to the back of the building. Yep. Mm-hmm. When it was originally designed, it had several levels. In the basement or the below ground was a swimming pool, which is still there, although dry and unused. Then a gym floor. Then a second floor, a third floor, and a fourth floor. Hmm. And the, the upper floors had classrooms, residence rooms, a library, a museum, laboratories. It was to be the college building. Shanahan then in 1915, as that was being designed, was moved. I never knew whether he wanted to move, the bishop wanted him to move. I don't know what was going on there, but he moved to be a pastor somewhere. I forget where. And the new president is Father Bill Hannon. Hannon did something that I think is very important for what we became. He stopped Shanahan's building's design. Instead, had the architect redesign it to the building we now know. Pool, two levels of gym, track, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So the third and fourth floors were gone. And he said, the college will be built in a separate building. Now, I always thought that's very important and symbolic, that that St. Ambrose is going to be more than just a building we keep adding on to. And so Davis Hall, 1922, the first half of it, and then a couple years later, the second half of it, became the college building. There's a picture in your book that shows of half, half of it. Of it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Which um, is so, it's so weird to see that, <laughs> yeah. too. And inside was, in addition to residence hall, there were, there were faculty offices, there were chemistry lab, there was, the chapel was in the basement. Uh, it, it was everything. It was the college. Yeah. And so I think that was an important step, and, and Hannon did that. A couple of other things Hannon did was, number one, a couple of years later, right after World War I, so 1919, 1920, he undertook the first big fundraising campaign Mm. to raise money to support the institution, the first of many over the decades. He also got himself out in the community. He began to join community organizations, which I think is important because St. Ambrose is getting out there, it's getting known, Mm -hmm. he's making contacts with people, businessmen who aren't Catholic, but who could nevertheless support us and so forth. And I, I think that was an important step for us mm. and why I always like to talk about Hannon. Mm. He moved in 1926. He went to a parish somewhere, I forget where. I think Muscatine, doesn't matter. And the next president was short-termer was Monsignor, the famous Monsignor Haber. Haber didn't want to be president. He didn't like being president. <laughs> he, he was a scientist. He wanted to do his research. He wanted to teach. He was a biologist. But he was responsible for something that's important. Hannon had begun it, but Haber finished it. And that was accreditation Mm -hmm. by what we now call North Central. Mm. That we became legitimate, if you will. Yeah. And also, he completed the process of separating out the high school from the college Mm. in in Hannon's years. So that we had St. Ambrose 
Academy, as the high school came to be called, okay. essentially in Ambrose Hall, and then St. Ambrose College. Up until this point, all the presidents were president of the college and also principal of the high school. Mm-hmm. Now there are two people in those jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Haber got out of it as quickly as he could. He was only there four years as president. I then want to skip, skip Martin Cohen and Carl Weinberg, uh, who were the presidents in the last half of the, or during the 1930s, 1930 to 1940, the two of them. Not that they weren't unimportant, but I think what comes is more important. And that's Ambrose Burke, uh, Father Ambrose Burke. Burke was an interesting guy. Burke was very bright. He had a doctorate in English from Yale, one of our Mm -hmm. first PhDs in something other than theology and philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, He he came just between 1940. What's going on in the world in 1940? War has already begun in Europe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, By 1941, it was kind of clear that we're going to get into it. And what, what's going to happen? St. Ambrose will lose all its students yeah. because they're all draft age. And uh, through Burke's work, contact was made with the, na- with the government, with the Navy. And St. Ambrose then during the war years was taken over by the United States Navy. Okay, yeah. What few students who weren't in the, in the Army largely seminarians. The seminarians left here and went to Loris College to their lifelong shame. <laughs> and, and, and the few others kind of remained. But St. Ambrose during those years, and that was the money that we got from the Navy saved St. Ambrose. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to ask if, like, if there was any, like... Oh, yes, there, there was money because yeah. we, had, we had several hundred... They were they were naval air cadets. They're all going to be become naval pilots. Right. Yeah. And so they're here. They're they're taking math courses. They're taking some engineering courses and that sort of thing. There are pictures on, in the on the third floor where the veterans are. There's there are pictures of them masked out. And I think there's one in the book too, masked out in front of the McMullen Hall. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and in, were in there as maybe were there barracks that were built for them? And were those kind of in that area where the wellness center is no, now? The, no, the barracks came after the war. Oh, they they okay. lived they lived in Davis Hall. They lived in Davis Hall. Okay. No, uh, they okay. lived in Davis Hall. So what was when I was a student? There were still these huts that I think were maybe the leftovers. No, of whatever those, barracks those huts were, were those were built. No, no, those huts were much later. Much later. Okay. Huh. Okay. After the war, then Burke had to oversee bringing students back, and most of those who came back were veterans. Mm-hmm. on the GI Bill, mm-hmm. arguably one of the most important pieces of legislation oh, in the yeah. 20th century. What are you going to do with them? The army, the, the government had gazillions of buildings all over the country, and so we were able to get barracks, and there were something like 10 of them in the parking lot of where, we're, where Galvin is. The, the parking lot here, and and uh, there they were residence halls, some of them for married students, others uh, for non-married students, but they were all almost occupied by veterans. Another barrack was right here in the parking lot in front of Galvin, which became the music building. 
And when I was a student in the 60s, it was still in use, and I had classes in there. Hmm. Um, when Galvin was built later in the decade of the 60s, then that was no longer needed, and it was torn down. But that's where the barracks, the famous barracks came from, hmm. where they was after the war. They were all war surplus. Hmm. Um, Burke also had plans, grandiose plans, for expansion. Uh, and Burke and then his successor Collins, Monsignor Collins, had the idea of several new buildings, the centerpiece of which was the chapel. Burke got the chapel built, and the only, the only other one of the buildings, and, and the, the plan was for the chapel, a residence hall, a theater auditorium, uh, another two or three classroom buildings. And the only other building on that design which got built was what we now call Roman Hall. It used to be East Hall. Mm -hmm. I've seen pictures of all of the buildings, and thank God they didn't be built because they all looked like East Hall. They look, all looked like Kleenex boxes. Really? <laughs> I mean, the, the, there was absolutely no architectural imagination in them oh. at all. So thankfully they didn't yes. build. Yeah. The other thing to be thankful about was the chapel was to have been the center of that. And I remember then the campus went from Gaines Street to Scott Street, which yeah. is where Cosgrove is. So it was a long, narrow. So the chapel was the center, the physical center of the campus, hmm. which is why it's light brick and everything else is red. Hmm. In addition, there was to be a grand walkway from Locust Street to the chapel so that it would show it off. And in the letter that Bishop Hayes wrote to all the priests to introduce this, he said, of course to do this, we'll have to tear down our beloved Ambrose Hall. Oh my goodness. Hard to imagine. Yeah. Yeah, as you were saying that, I think there's no way to do that except yeah. tear down Ambrose, Ambrose Hall. Hall. Yeah. And like right to the center of Ambrose Hall. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Burke had big plans, most of which did not get done, I think economics was part of that and so forth. But when I came as a student in 1963, the watercolor drawings of those buildings, which were quite large, maybe you know, two and a half by one and a half feet, were, were framed and on the wall in the beehive. Hmm. And I can still see them there. I, I tried years ago to find out whatever happened to them yeah. when they were taken down. And I rather imagine they were just destroyed, but huh. which, in any case. So Burke, Burke thought big, mm -hmm. and would have it would have been had he been able to put into in a fruition all of his plans, we would have had a very different looking campus. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Hmm. The next one I would mention is Menke, mm -hmm. sixty four to seventy three. He was president. Um, Menke made his co-ed. Okay. Menke took us through the 60s, anti-war, civil rights, yeah. and all of that. Um, he, he brought in Ed Rogalski as dean of students, or dean of men, and then, mm -hmm. who, as, as it was. And then, uh, uh, then came Dr. Backrow and Dr. Rogalski. Um, I, I don't know how we're in time, mm -hmm. but... Uh, um, yeah, the of those that you've mentioned, uh, obviously Dr. Rogalski was president when I was here as a student. Um, 
I knew of or had heard the name certainly of Dr. Backrow. Uh, Monsignor Minky was still alive when I was a semina college seminarian here, and I don't remember how long after that, maybe a few years after I maybe left here that he passed away. But I remember we had uh, a seminary formation evening where we got to have dinner with him and ask him questions about uh, those kind of th those transitions that you're talking about that he led the college through. And he, he was one. He was a his Ph.D. was in Latin and Greek. Mm -hmm. And he taught Latin for years. Mm. He also was an astronomer, self-taught. Hmm. And oh, our observatory is named the Amenke Observatory. That's okay. right. There used to be an observatory over here on the corner where the Wellness Center is now. Oh, wow. And then when it was torn down and it, the, the equipment was moved out into the country where it is now. Light pollution probably didn't make <laughs> yeah, it possible yeah, to use yeah. in town and, anymore. Yeah. Anyhow. But, uh, yeah, Seb was, uh, Sebastian was, was, was a guy... You talking about I, I so I knew when I came in 1963 as a student the president was was Monsignor Bill Collins and then Menke was the president when I graduated and then I came back with Backrow and then Rogalski and, and Sister Joan and now but I also knew Burke and I knew Mayan Burke did Burke go to Clinton yes after he did this? he was okay. he, he was St Mary's Clinton for because very my long time. first assignment was Clinton, and people talked still about yes, Monsignor yeah. Burke. He, he yes, yeah, he uh, he had a great first name for being college president. Yes, I have to say, Ambrose, Ambrose yeah. Burke. Mm. So there you go. Meinberg <laughs> went from here in 1940. He replaced Monsignor Schulte at St. Mary's Iowa City. Okay. When I was an undergraduate at Iowa in the early 60s, he I, I went to Mass at St. Mary's, and he was the pastor then. Then. When I came back in 74, as dean of students, mm -hmm. came back to campus here, he was retired living in Hayes Hall. That's the question I was going to ask you, because when I was a student and lived in Hayes Hall, occasionally the elevator would come up to the third floor and open, and there would be nobody on it. <gasps> and the seminarians would joke, oh, it's the ghost of Monsignor Meinberg. And so, I, so there must have been some lore, because oh, he lived in the building at some point, um, and so that was always the joke when the elevator doors opened and there was nobody there. He, he uh, by the time I came back in 74, he was quite old. He still would come, in, in those days, the, when I came, think of this, when I came back in 1974, there were 26 priests on the faculty. Wow. Wow. And, That's crazy. That's insane. And we had, you know, we had our own dining room, which is... Um, now the front part of Cosgrove Hall dining room, okay. the, that mm -hmm. room off to the front there that sometimes open and some sometimes oh, isn't. Yeah, the, the, one VI, the, the VIP. Right yeah, okay. And, yeah. and uh, that you was the it. priest dining room, hmm. but he would come over, maybe for one meal a day. He kind of shuffled over, mm -hmm. but and I was dean of students then. But he always, when he'd sit down, George, how are the students doing? Hmm. What are they talking? He always oh. wanted to know about the students. Hmm. And my funny. Meinberg story. He he graduated from here about 1912 or 13, hmm. and one of his contemporaries was a man called Monsignor Luigi Laguti. Laguti hmm. <laughs> was an Italian immigrant, as the name indicates, and came to Des Moines, where there were lots of Italian immigrants, and came here all not quite, but almost literally off the boat. He went on to be ordained a priest for the Diocese of Des Moines, became internationally famous 
in agricultural issues okay. and was for years the United Nations, the Vatican's United Nations observer to the food administration of something and, and at a huh. villa oh, in wow. Rome. Wow. Oh, wow. And That's so crazy. I was dean of students. Now, this would have been the fall of 74, probably. And Bishop O'Keefe called me and said, George, Monsignor Liguti is making a farewell tour to the United States. Huh and wants to have lunch at St. Ambrose with his old classmate, Monsignor Meinberg. Huh. So, Lugudi came, he stayed overnight in a suite in Davis Hall. I arranged the lunch. I couldn't be there for some reason, but I got two or several others. He came in and sat down. Meinberg came in and sat down. There were two or three others who told me the story later. And the two men, Nguti talked to everybody else, but Meinberg said hardly anything, and the two men hardly talked to one another. The lunch was over. They both struggled to get to their feet, and Meinberg kind of shouted, you'll have to pardon me, I'm hard of hearing, and Nguti said, so am I. <laughs> and that was the great reunion. That was, wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. With, within a very few months, Meinberg was dead. Okay. Oh, wow. Magudi came back to the United States, never back to campus, but came back to the United States a couple more times. He died in the 80s and is buried in, in Granger, where he had been pastor for a long time. Okay. Okay. Any huh. case. Yeah, so... Um, hmm. mine, uh, you know, I don't know. Are there other... Rather than rattling on about some of the more recent ones, <laughs> we may do that another time. Any other questions about any of the others? I don't know. I... I've been jotting down questions over here. Just Go for it, man. Random ones. Um, uh, yeah, you mentioned like um, Ambrose going, like campus going through the like civil rights movement and stuff. Um, and it is uh, Black History Month, though we should be celebrating um, those people uh, integral to that movement uh, all year. But um, I was wondering if you could like maybe paint me a picture of campus during uh, that time. And like, I'm just wondering how it was to be president during that time, and you know, um, with segregation and uh, ending that well, here on campus. St. Ambrose, going back, really in small ways, before World War II, but coming out of World War II, there, Ambrose was really part of what we, in a broad sense, call the social justice movement in the church. Yeah. Uh, very much impacted by Rerum Novarum, the great 1891 encyclical of Leo XIII. Um, so coming out of World War II, there were several priests, and uh, since most of the faculty was clergy then, mm -hmm. and a couple lay faculty who were involved in that. Students were involved. The veterans coming back were involved in some of those issues. Um, there was a group in the early 50s called the League for Social Justice, which was which, in fact, it was just in the Catholic Messenger last week. Um, among the things they did, and the League for Social Justice was made up of students and alumni of St. Ambrose, uh, students and alumni of Mary Crest, and some others. Mm -hmm. One of the things they did, based on what they learned in class at St. Ambrose, was to investigate segregation in Davenport. Hmm. Okay. And so they, they called barbershops, Will you cut the hair of a black person? They called funeral homes. Will you bury a black person? Mm -hmm. um, 
they actually, two of them were married, there were two married couples, a black couple and a white couple, went to restaurants to see if they could get served. Mm. Mm. And then they wrote this little pamphlet called Citizen Second Class Racial Discrimination in Davenport, Iowa. Oh, wow. Leading mm. to social justice. And uh, it was not a pretty picture. Mm-hmm. No. Was this yeah. Father O'Connor? No, no, he was He was the, uh, Father Bill O'Connor was kind of the inspiration behind this, but he huh. purposely stayed out of it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it was really all student, hmm. you know. Monsignor Mottet, or Mottet was a student then. Hmm. He, he was... I don't think part of the league, but he would mm-hmm. have followed on to that. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, the, so citizens had class. That really set the thing. And then by the 60s, uh, students here, some students were involved in the beginnings of the civil rights movement. There was an organization called the um, Catholic Interracial Council, which was a national organization, which had a local chapter. Uh, it's a front page article of the Messenger this week about that mm-hmm. by Tim Walsh. Uh, there were probably the first, there were civil rights demonstrations which morphed later in the decade into anti war demonstrations. Menke mm-hmm. uh, went through that. They were always allowed to happen and they were mm-hmm. supported, although not by everybody. I'm told mm-hmm. in those days the priest's dining room could get very tense because not everybody agreed with all of this. Interesting. And not, nor did all the students agree mm-hmm. with all of this. But they were, the, those who did were very vocal and so forth. But um, hmm. uh, there was a, we had in 1947 or 48, we formed a chapter of the National Association, the NAACP, Yep. Mm-hmm. The first Catholic college to have a chapter. I believe I'm correct in that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, That's what the plaque outside the chapel yes, says. So yeah. I, I go by that. There's oh, a plaque outside. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I've got yeah. it. It's in the book. Yeah. And that's where that came from. But yes, that's right. Then in, in one, one of my great memories was one of the great advocates for civil rights was uh, another historian, Father Frank Duncan. Hmm. And when I was a student in the fall, in the spring of... 65, I I wasn't in the seminary yet. I was a lay student living on fourth floor of Ambrose Hall, which was all lay students. And and in those days, there was a priest on every floor of every residence hall. And Duncan was our priest. Mm -hmm. This was the spring of Selma, the the Mm -hmm. voting rights march in Selma. I was in my room one night in April, and he knocked on the door and came in. He said, George... I'm going to Selman to march with Dr. King. I want you to come with me. Hmm. I used to tell students this. I didn't go. I had all sorts of good excuses not to go. He took three or four others who went down to Selma. They were there two or three days. They did not march from Selma to Birmingham. They had to come back, but they were there for the first part of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I always used to tell students I don't remember why I thought I couldn't go, but there are times when you blow class off and you do things. Yeah. And that should have been one of them. Yeah. Yep. That should have been one of them. Don't let class get in the way of your education. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah. And, huh? and when there, before, I think the night before the march was to begin, there was a big prayer service because one or two of the civil rights workers had been killed. Hmm. And... To his dying day, Father Duncan was most proud of the fact that Dr. King asked him to pray 
at that prayer service. Oh, wow. wow. Oh, I have chills. That's And he had the prayer, and when Frank Duncan died, I prayed that prayer at his funeral. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, yes, we, yeah. this campus yeah. was heavily involved. Well, I've always been And, and Menke, yeah. Menke was very tolerant of that, as was Ed Rigalski, who was the dean of students, and thus more directly responsible. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes. Mm-hmm. There was also, to be fair, lots of nonsense that went on in those years. It was, after all, a counterculture and, right. as the mm-hmm. old phrase was, sex, drugs, and rock and roll era. <laughs> um, and there was, there was a, a lot of nonsense. But mm-hmm. Mankey oversaw it. He, mm-hmm. we, we, we became co-ed. All that went very smoothly and uh, in large because of the leadership of Monsignor Mankey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I think you may have answered this and kind of going through the highlights of some of those, but the question that I had was, of those 13 past presidents, is there one or two without whom it would be hard to imagine the university being what it is today, oh. who you know, definitively set it on a different yeah. course so that it be, could, could become what we know it as today? For the reasons I said, I think Hannon. Yeah. I think probably Menke. Mm-hmm. The transitions that went in the late 60s, early 70s, um, could have gone very disastrously in another mm. direction, mm. except for Menke's leadership. Um, Rogalski, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in Rogalski's time, first back rows and then Rogalski, there were two, two attempts to merge us with Mary Crest. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, so Ed was part of that board mm-hmm. before he's president and then as president. Uh, certainly, and you know, and uh, Sister Joan has done. You know, yeah. she's still here. It's too soon to make historical judgments. <laughs> it seems like uh, when Dr. Rogalski was president, and that continued with uh, Sister Joan. But uh, while there was certainly an expansion of buildings, I've counted, I think, eight or ten new buildings on campus since I was a student here, and that wasn't all that long ago. But also expansion of programs, um, especially yeah. in the health sciences Without and all question. of those kind of things that are mm-hmm. that are very kind of new. Just, um, you know, just when I came, I, I came as a student the first time in the spring semester of '63. Then there was Ambrose Hall, the Library Administration Building, which is McMullen, mm-hmm. Davis Hall, Lewis Hall, Christ the King Chapel. And Hayes Hall was, was or no. no, wasn't there yet? No. Huh. That was it. Yeah. 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 That was it. And when I came to campus, all of those, plus the new library, which had just been yeah. Yeah. Uh, dedicated my freshman year, uh, the townhouses were there. This um, building. This building, Cosgrove. And then during my time, I think after a year or so, the first what we called then New Hall, yeah. which is now Tiedemann, was, was built. But then all of those new residence halls, uh, the Wellness Center, obviously. Oh, I guess Lee Loman was there, but the yeah, Wellness Center the, adding yeah. to it. you Because know. that was my freshman year was the Wellness Center. Yeah. Came yeah. right in time, just in time. Yeah. But no, but even when my mom, my mom graduated in the 80s, and she, I remember coming on the tour here, and she, like, would point out the halls, the residence halls, and she would call them, you know, like, by direct cardinal directions you know because that's East what they Hall yeah. And, yeah and the tour guide was like no that's uh that's cosgrove and she's Hall, like what right? yeah. she's like i'm so confused <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. but it's just cool how how it's changed so quickly over the years i have another question and that is it's a hard you know this kind of historical you know uh speculation is always difficult of course but 
do you think that the university is what Bishop McMullen would have envisioned, or mm. could he not have even begun to think about what it would be when he started that and asked Father Schulte to head it up? The first, the answer to the first part is I hope so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the second part is I don't think he could have thought this big. No. Yeah. yeah. I, I make a point in the book that you know. He, he was a priest of Chicago, and he, was, he studied in Rome for five years, came back in 1858 as a priest, and then for six years, 1860 to 66, was president of what was then called St. Mary the Lake University. Not the one out at Munden Line, but this, okay. was, this was down on the lake. Okay. Mm. And he had grand plans for it. Mm. He began to get in faculty members with doctorates, mm-hmm. He started a medical school, started a law school. He saw it as a great university. For lots of reasons, in 1866, the bishop abruptly closed it down. Hmm. And I always kind of romantically like to think that we became, we, when he came here, he started us in hopes of continuing what had been abruptly stopped in Chicago. Hmm. Unfortunately, he only lived, lived two years. Yeah. I mean, we opened in the fall of 1882. He was dead the next July. Oh, wow. Hmm. So, and his successor bishop, Cosgrove, did not have his vision. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, and, and so I hope we are what he would have wanted. Hmm. He was an intellectual uh, he was well read. So, hmm. but uh, who who in, who in 1882 could have imagined the world looking like this? Sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Well, Father George, it has been a pleasure to have you on, yeah. and I am always amazed at just the wealth of knowledge that is at your fingertips. <laughs> because um, you know, I have sometimes trouble remembering what I ate for breakfast. So. Um, good to have you. Wait till you get old. <laughs> good to have you on today. Thank you for bringing us through this little tour of the presidents of St. Ambrose. And we're excited. Um, actually, next week we will have Sister Joan on yep. to talk about her time here and, and her experience here. And uh, I think we're going to have to figure out how to get uh, Dr. Novak That's on uh, somewhere down the road. Yeah. So This is good um, yeah. background knowledge yeah. for anyone listening for next week and Sets us up well. future so. ones. So. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Meg, I'll let you bring us home. All right. May the faith be with you. And with your spirit. Have a good week. (laughs) You too. Thank you.